0: And please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. Okay, so let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful word that we, that we have today. From the Gospel of Luke, we thank you that we can celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that that we will truly see you this this afternoon, that we will truly see you for who you are, that we'll understand who you are, Jesus. I pray that you will be truly honored and, and glorified. And I thank you for this. In Jesus Christ, amen. So, the book of Hebrews... Says in chapter one, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So, God's final word is Jesus. Jesus is the final word. There is no other word apart from Jesus Christ. So, I'm really excited to talk about Jesus this afternoon. Um, we are really going to have a deep look at the virgin birth, what it all entails, and nothing that I'm going to say today is new. I don't have anything new to say. All I'm going to do is, is expound for you what has already been clearly taught in the history of the church by those who have, who have gone before us. So before I get into the work of our great mediator, Jesus Christ, I want to first talk about justice and the first Adam. Before we see the doctor, I want us to see the great plague. Before we see the rescue, I want us to see the spiritual tsunami that has hit this earth. Now, as we saw in the book of Genesis, as we know from the book of Genesis, God created all things good. God was so good to Adam and Eve. He gave them absolutely everything. He made humanity good. He made them in His own image and likeness. So God gave Adam and Eve all the natural ability that they needed in order to obey Him. They did not need some kind of restorative grace to help them along. They had what they needed to get the job done. Now notice in Genesis chapter 2 that there is, there is no reason given For why they should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the garden of God, Adam and Eve are given one prohibition. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So God doesn't explain to them, this is why you shouldn't do it. Genesis doesn't tell us that. It does say that the day that you eat from the tree, you will surely die. So God is saying that I want you to do something because I have been so good to you, I've given you absolutely everything, and I am God, and therefore obey me. Obey me not because of consequences, but obey me because I've done everything for you, and I'm a good God. I've given you everything. So God is calling Adam and Eve to do something for His sake, for His glory. Now when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they chose to determine good and evil for themselves. And the Lord God said, in, verses, in chapter 3, verse 23, verses 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. So after disobeying God, they did become like God in that now, they determined good and evil for themselves. So God had given them life, companionship, work. He's placed them in paradise itself. But they are creatures, and they are are not meant to determine good and evil for themselves. So when they were tempted by Satan, they started desiring to make the rules for themselves. Not have God be the judge and the one who decides what is good and evil. They wanted to determine things for themselves. So seeking to be your own judge is the beginning of sin. Seeking to sit on the throne of God yourself is the essence of human sin. Now all humanity since the fall determines what is good and evil For themselves, apart from God being the one who decides. We sit on the throne and we judge for ourselves. Now God judged Adam after his disobedience. He rightly judged Adam after having kindly told him what would happen if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all of humanity died with Adam died spiritually with Adam. Now, after the fall that we read about in the book of Genesis, God did not take His law away. His law remains in this world. And Jesus summarizes the law for us in that we should love God and love our neighbor. That's how Jesus summarizes the law. So we're to love God with our whole will and purpose. All of our affections and desires, inclinations, nothing equal to God. No, not preferring anything more than Him, no holding back. So all of our thoughts are to be bent towards God, both internally and externally. All of our lives are to be like a wave crashing towards God. And because of this love that we have for God, out of this love that we have for God, originates the love that we have for fellow humanity. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it says, Cursed be he or she that does not confirm all the words of the law to do them. So this is serious business. Now, does humanity love like this? Not at all. All humanity is prone by nature to instead hate God and hate neighbor. So it is is the law of God that says, love God and love neighbor that shows us that we are actually sinful human beings. It shows us this because When we compare ourselves with the law of God, this law that demands perfect love, we realize that we actually don't love God. We actually have hatred for God. And when we think about people, we realize that we actually don't love people either. So this is how the law of God, the perfect law of God's love, reveals our sinful hearts. So this is... Not having love is not something that's cute. Listen to the thunder of God's law that says, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So love and law really go together. Love is not an escape. Love is the reason why humanity is judged by God. Because God is a God of love. And we are humans who who hate him and hate neighbor. So at this point, our conscience says, I haven't continued in all things written. Therefore, the conclusion is that I am condemned, hammered down, we find the defendant guilty. But somebody may object and say, wait a minute, I was born as a sinner. And so obviously I was going to sin. This is me. I'm human. Are you going to shout at a cat for for climbing up a tree? This is who I am. I'm a human being. Human being sinned. Human being sinned. What's the problem? And the response is that if God did create man weak, then we would not be guilty. We would point a finger at God, but God did not make us weak. And naturally incapable. So, how did God create man? What was the state or condition in which God originally created man? God created Adam good and not defective at all. He not only made Adam good without having defects, but they were actually righteous. The switch was turned on towards righteousness. So they were, they were created without moral stain or corruption. It was actually possible for them not to sin, to never sin. It was possible for them to never sin. It was possible for them to love God and love people perfectly. And they actually did have this love, and that's why they remained in the presence of God. At the same time as this, it was also possible for them to sin, they could sin and they could also not sin. This is the state in which God created humanity. They had the ability to obey everything that God had given them to obey. So having, having been created in righteousness, Adam had the ability to fulfill his duties. He was intellectually and morally mature. And that is why the Apostle Paul regards Adam as the representative of all humanity. What is true of Adam would become true of everybody, this righteous Adam. And he did, for some period of time, fully do the will of God. He did not need grace. He did not need a Savior He was created with the ability to obtain the tree of life through obedience, and this wasn't at all legalistic. Now, after Adam sinned, through the instigation of the devil, the will of man fell. And this fall was absolutely enormous. I used to love riding my bike as a kid, and sometimes I would fall really bad and I'd have to get all bandaged up and sometimes we think of the fall in the book of Genesis kind of like that falling off your bike getting bandaged up but this fall is bigger than we might ever realize in our whole lifetime this fall is so huge that every single problem that you've ever known in your whole life is connected to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 The spiritual separation between God and man is because of this fall. There is not a single perfect city in the whole world, despite all of the education and technology, because of this fall. Every one of us is is heading towards the grave because of this fall. Now Adam was held responsible because he did have the ability to, Not to sin. If they were created as sinners, then why would they have been guilty? So God's punishment shows that they had the responsibility. They were responsible for their disobedience. Now after Genesis chapter 3, humanity is not able not to sin. If you had to ask Adam if it was possible for him to not sin after Genesis 3, he would say, impossible. It's no longer possible not to sin. Those days are over. So if there is one thing that that Adam knew from experience, it was that God is just and requires obedience. Obedience. If there was ever going to be deliverance, it had to come through justice and obedience. God would never say, Adam, I think I was too serious. I overreacted. Don't worry about it. You can go back to Eden now. No. The only way back is through justice and obedience, through perfect righteousness And it's at this point that we can see the logic behind substitution. If there is any way to get right with God, it is only through perfect obedience. Obedience was required in the garden. Obedience is required afterwards as well. So obedience must come from you or from somebody else. That's the only way for humanity. Now, right in the middle of this great fall, God introduced this idea of substitution. Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So someone is going to come from the woman who will destroy Satan. And then in in chapter 3, verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God himself makes the sacrifice. It's not Adam and Eve bringing a sacrifice to God. God sacrifices the animal. God clothes them with the skins of the animal. In anticipation for the one who's going to come from the woman and destroy Satan. So Adam could never have dreamt up or imagined this idea of substitution for himself. All Adam would think about is the justice of God. So substitution comes from the infinite wisdom of God. God knows a way to have mercy without ignoring justice. And if the sound of, if, if the, sound of the gospel hadn't reached Adam's ears... There was no hope. Now, in today's passage, we're going to see how Jesus Christ is the mediator that we needed. He's one who is truly God, truly righteous, and truly man. So, we're going to look at the humanity, the righteousness, and the divinity of Jesus Christ. So, we have here in today's passage the miraculous encounter of the mighty angel Gabriel, and a very ordinary young girl. So she really was a nobody, and she never would have ever expected this kind of favor to come to her. And Gabriel is there to announce good news. So have a look at verses 26 to 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verses 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So firstly, Gabriel calms her down and tells her, How she's found favor. And verses 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. So God is going to make Mary pregnant. This is no ordinary pregnancy. She is a virgin. So obviously she she asks with obvious confusion. How is this going to happen? I am a virgin. So Gabriel explains to in verses 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Gabriel tells Mary that her womb will be opened by the Holy Spirit, that God is going to overshadow her, Causing her to become pregnant. Now the word for overshadow is a very interesting word. The same word is used in the book of Exodus in chapter 40. Where God overshadows the tabernacle, the tent. And so when God overshadows the tabernacle, he's setting it apart for his purpose. And so yeah, where the Holy Spirit is overshadowing Mary, she's being set apart for God's purposes. So God is telling her that she's going to give Birth to the God man. Her son will be just as much God as he is a child of Mary. He will be fully God and fully man. Now, Jesus is fully human in every way that we are. He had a human body, a human mind, a human will. Everything that makes you human, Jesus Christ has. He took on full human nature. From Mary, so many women in the Old Testament really struggled to have babies. There were many women who were barren, and eventually they gave birth and they praised God for, the, for giving them a baby. You think of of Abraham and Sarah Sarah, even in her old age, gives birth now Mary is like a new Eve, all of those women were pointing towards Mary, this new Eve, who who has the the ultimate barren womb. She's a virgin, and she's going to give birth to this child who is fully God and fully man. So the miracle of the incarnation is that the eternal Son of God took on full humanity without ceasing to be God. He's not a new person. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he he doesn't bring a human nature with him. He he gets his human nature from Mary. Now, if if Jesus Christ is, is fully divine, he's got a divine nature and a human nature, how do these two natures relate to each other? Now, some in the past have said that Jesus was his only God, and he wasn't really man. And others try to say that, no, he's he's really man, but he's not really God. And others try to say that, no, Jesus is kind of a, he's like a hybrid, he's God and man mixed. And the church looked at this and responded from the Bible and said, heresy, this is false teaching. And it, it was condemned as heresy in the history of the church. So the Athanasian Creed turns its attention to the mediator. And it says, It is necessary to eternal salvation that he who desires to be saved should also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the right faith is that we should believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is equally both God and man. So this is eternally important, and so it really deserves our attention this afternoon. We've, we firstly see that Christ is both God and man. So that means that he, he, He's divine and human at the same time. He doesn't go back and forth between, between being God and being man. Rather, ever since the incarnation, He remains what He always was true God, yet now he also and ever will remain true man. Christ is both God and man equally. So so this teaches us to be careful about maintaining a balance in emphasis. We must confess from the heart that Jesus is God, but we mustn't overemphasize his divinity so that his humanity gets ignored. We also must confess with conviction that Jesus Christ is truly man, but not emphasize his humanity to such a degree that his divinity fades away. So rather we aim for equal emphasis on both the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. Why? Is this just nitpicking? Not at all. This is because our mediator must be God and man, He has to be, and the church has always understood that. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus goes to sleep, and He wakes up, and He says, Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves quieten down, immediately. He goes to a wedding like a man, and He turns water into wine. Jesus weeps at the grave of, of Lazarus, but then He says, Come forth. Lazarus come forth and Lazarus is resurrected. He is the God man. Now in verses 35, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So this is how Gabriel describes it to Mary. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, he cannot be our Savior. So this is so important. Jesus must have both of these natures joined together in one person. Jesus is one person with two natures and these natures are not mixed or separated. And this is who the person of Jesus Christ is today. Without this, Christmas would be absolutely nothing. We wouldn't have the Savior that we need. Now, I'm sure many of you have received some really pretty ridiculous Christmas gifts over your lifetime. Um, I've received some really bad gifts. I'm thinking of some t shirts with just really cheesy pictures everywhere, and you just, "Why, why did you give me this? And that's, I'm sure all of you have had the same experience. But God knows exactly what gift we need in our mediator. He knows exactly what we need in a mediator. Now, our first major point that I really want to emphasize is that Jesus must be fully man. Why is it necessary that Christ is fully man? Because it, is, it was a human being that sinned. It's humanity that sinned. And therefore, it is necessary that a human being makes, make satisfaction for sin. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So a human being must die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the, the, the mediator that we need must come from the same family as Adam. And it's interesting that if you look at the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke, it traces all the way back from Jesus to Adam. So he has to be fully human in order to be our mediator. Secondly, Jesus, our mediator, must be fully righteous. We need a mediator that is not affected By the guilt and corruption of the first Adam. If Jesus has sin, he cannot save us. He would have to satisfy for himself. Only if our mediator is truly righteous can he be our savior. Now how can Jesus be truly righteous if he was human? And the the angel Gabriel tells us in verses 35 that it's as a result of being born of the Holy Spirit that He would be holy, that He would be called holy, the Son of God. So it is is very clear that Jesus, though being human, was also sinless. In Hebrews chapter 4 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So some people might think, is Jesus really human if he is sinless? Isn't sin a part of being human? No, it's not. As we saw with the first Adam, sin is not human. Sin isn't human at all. Sin is not inherent to being human. Sin is not of the essence of being human. We were created sinless, and so sin is like a virus that has infected humanity. But it's not, sin is not of the essence of humanity. But all those who are under the first Adam are sinners. And this is where we need to see the importance of the virgin birth. Jesus Christ is different Jesus is not born in Adam like the rest of us. That is why Jesus is sinless. Adam, listen to this, Adam is not the head of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new head. He has not received Adam's guilt or corruption. He, Jesus Christ was not born with guilt and with a sinful Nature. If Jesus was born under Adam, he would also be a sinner and he would not be able to be our mediator. So, the the virgin birth is how Jesus took on full humanity without having the sinful nature that's been passed down to the rest of humanity. He is the second head, he is the new Adam. So unlike the first Adam, he's the perfect image of God. He's fully righteous. He's holy without any sin. He does, Jesus does, did not have the sin virus like the rest of us. And it, it is the Spirit of God who caused Jesus to be born sinless. And He does, he, he does so by not conceiving Him under Adam, But by making him a new Adam, a new head, a perfect image of God. In verses, so we see that that Jesus is fully God. Have a look at verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God... Will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, such a description of the one whom Mary was going to carry in her in her womb is was incredible. So, for the children that are young, probably for most of you ladies, if you look at the Cinderella story, you've got you've got everybody trying on this glass slipper. And it doesn't fit anybody, but eventually Cinderella tries on the slipper and it fits perfectly. And that's exactly what the apostles are doing with these Old Testament passages. The apostles are saying that there is is this Old Testament shoe that is really hard to fit into. And nobody has been able to fit into this Old Testament shoe until now. Everybody has tried to squeeze into it. It hasn't fitted anybody. And now, Jesus Christ comes along, and the shoe fits him perfectly. The Old Testament shoe fits Jesus absolutely perfectly. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord promised King David that his descendants, coming from his own body, would rule on his throne forever now this is already remarkable which other royal family has a dynasty that's going to go on forever all dynasties eventually disappear but the lord promised david that his dynasty would be eternal and we see that when when looking at the old testament that not only would david's son be David's son, but he would also be God's son. In 2 Samuel 7, the Lord goes on to say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, if you look at Psalm chapter 2, it echoes this when the Lord says to his anointed one, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then this, this royal son of David then receives a global kingdom. And in, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, something, we see something even more amazing than that. At the end of Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are all instructed to serve the Lord with fear and kiss the son lest he be angry. So, why should this son of David? be worshipped even as God is worshipped unless he is God too. So we see that the son of David, this this somebody who's going to come out of David's bloodline, is more than just a great king. Every indication is that the son of David is also the son of God. And the angel Gabriel is saying that this son of David is Jesus Christ. We see in in verses 35 that he will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, even the demons throughout the Gospels recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And when Jesus spoke about himself, his enemies accused him of blasphemy because in their eyes, he was making himself out to be equal with God. So Jesus as our mediator, has to be fully God. Our mediator has to, had to, go through, undertake, take in his human nature the infinite justice of God against sin and go through in his human nature the infinite wrath of God against sin. And Jesus had to endure, he had to take a punishment that although it was temporary with regards to time, was infinite with regards to value. Now if our mediator had only been a human being and he had taken upon himself the full justice of God, he would have been crushed under its weight. So it was, it was necessary that our mediator be fully God to possess the strength to absorb infinite justice. So infinite justice came upon our mediator, upon this one person. Now all crime has a punishment that fits the crime. If you were walking on the streets and you, you pushed a young guy and he fell over, there would be some consequences for that. But go and walk down the streets and push over a nice old little grandmother and there's going to be some serious consequences. So the greater the person that's offended, the greater the punishment. If you offend a president, there's going to be a greater Penalty. So, because it's God who has been offended by our sin, the payment needs to match the offense. Our sin has eternal consequences. Why? Because an infinite, holy God has been offended. So our mediator must also be God because the punishment of the mediator should be of infinite value in order to satisfy an infinite offense. Because Jesus is fully God, the person of Jesus Christ is of infinite value dignity and value because of who Jesus is the infinite justice of the father was fully satisfied the sacrifice of the son of God was satisfactory according to God God is the judge and he determines when his justice has been satisfied The Son was able to bear this infinite weight. In His human nature, Jesus suffered. And the death of the Son of God was more valuable. Listen to this. According to God, the death of the Son of God was more valuable than the destruction of all creatures. That is why we read that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. He took infinite justice. And that is why we see the agony of Jesus before the cross. He sweated blood. Jesus had more agony than any Christian martyrs in history. He willingly did this work as our mediator. This was not cosmic child abuse. Jesus Christ chose to be our mediator. This was an agreement between Him and the Father, and He did this willingly. Jesus is the one who revealed this plan of substitution to us throughout His ministry. He kept teaching that the Son of Man is going to die and give His life as a ransom for many. So this isn't some plan that Jesus figured out after the incarnation. This is something that Jesus knew all along because He's God and He revealed this infinite wisdom throughout His ministry. Now the amazing thing is that with with man separated from this holy God Jesus Christ does not just come as a mediator and stand between sinful man and a holy God. Jesus is standing between, but He is also both parties. He is fully God and fully man. The wisdom of God in this mediator is is absolutely incredible. So in conclusion, the last Adam came not only to correct the problem of the fall by sacrificing himself on the cross, he also came to earn the right into the ultimate holy place. The time of having a fallen priest butcher animals to sacrifice for sins every year is over because the eternal high priest offered himself as the single sacrifice that actually removed sin permanently. The time of going to the temple to meet with God through a fallen priest is over because Christ, the eternal high priest, came to tabernacle amongst us. The time of the shadows is over because the light of the world has already been revealed. The last Adam actually entered into the ultimate kingdom of God when he ascended into heaven. The last Adam, a human being exactly like you, entered into the ultimate kingdom of God as our representative. What the last Adam, what the first Adam should have done, the last Adam actually did. So the ultimate kingdom of God the ultimate holy of holies, has been inhabited by the last Adam for over 2,000 years. He's done nothing less than completely do everything that the first Adam failed to do. The last Adam not only passed the probation that the first Adam failed to do, he earned the right to dwell in the heavenly kingdom of God He's the first human being to enter the ultimate kingdom. We have in Jesus Christ our own flesh in heaven. He's our advocate in the presence of the Father right now. Jesus is the first fruit of the new humanity, the new creation people of God. So in this fallen sinful world where there's so much heartbreak, pain, suffering, so much hatred and hurt, there is light that is shining in the midst of that. And the light is that one man has risen from the dead as a human being and ascended into heaven as fully God and fully man and he's seated in the ultimate kingdom of God as the eternal high priest. And that is the basis of our hope. We are hoping, we have a living hope, because there is one man that's seated in heaven as a man, our mediator, Jesus Christ. Apart from him, the first fruit of the resurrection from the dead, there'd be nothing for you to anchor your hope in. If you are under Adam, you are already judged as guilty. If you are under Jesus Christ, the second Adam, then your guilt has been imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. The guilt of Adam was imputed to us as humanity. The guilt that we received was imputed to Jesus Christ. On the cross. And the perfect, righteous, obedient life that the last Adam accomplished on our behalf has been imputed to us as God's gift. So you can keep hanging out under the first Adam, or you can realize through the Holy Spirit that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor. And you're under the first Adam, and you're under the judgment of God. And if you can see this, then with the hands of your soul, you can grab on in true faith to the last Adam, who has taken your sin upon himself on the cross, and is offering his righteousness to you with open hands of mercy. God has always demanded perfect obedience. Nothing has changed. And this obedience is only there in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, the last Adam has done more than clear the slate and put you back in the garden with a second chance. Jesus has done more than put you back in the garden with a second chance. Jesus already accomplished what Adam failed to do. The gospel is not that you're getting a second chance to try and do what Adam failed to do. The gospel is that Jesus did already what Adam failed to do. He's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and his accomplishments are being given to us through the Holy Spirit. That is the good news. Jesus has earned it and the Holy Spirit is giving it to the church. The good news is that Jesus Christ has done the law for you. All of our demerits have been put on him on the cross and all of his merit has been imputed to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are adopted justified, regenerated children of the Heavenly Father through the only begotten Son of God. And we are on our way to glorification. So Covenant Church, Merry Christmas. May you experience and know this wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for for your son, our mediator. Thank you, Jesus, that that you have done everything for us, that your cross was fully sufficient. Your life earned ultimate merit for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you absorbed full justice on our behalf, so that as we put our faith in you, we can be declared righteous. We thank you so much for the good news. We thank you so much that you're the, you the true light of the world that shines at this Christmas time. We bless your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.